are listening to the Stillbirth Matters podcast presented by the Star Legacy Foundation, a national nonprofit founded on the belief that every pregnancy deserves a happy ending. If you enjoy listening to this podcast, please consider visiting StarLegacyFoundation.org and make a donation of any amount. With Father's Day coming up soon, we thought it would be appropriate to feature a lost dad on the podcast. That's why our guest for this episode is Jay Watson. Jay lives in Minnesota with his wife, Crystal, and son. He is also the father of Kainoa Mark, who was born still in September of 2017. Well, Jay, thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. My first question for you, just so everyone becomes familiar with you, is to tell us about your family. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my partner, Crystal, and I, we met at Arizona State University, and we've been married since 2009. We have a living son who was born in 2014, and our second son, Kainoa, was stillborn due to an umbilical cord accident on September 24th, 2017 at 35 weeks gestation. Kainoa was conceived via frozen embryo transfer, so we've traveled the road of miscarriage and fertility treatments before and after Kainoa passed away, unfortunately. I think the main reason we wanted to talk to you today is because we have Father's Day coming up, which you and I both know that um, that holiday means something a lot different for guys like us than it does to other men who have not experienced challenges and loss um and i think it's an important time to think about um fathers who are often seen as the secondary parent because they're not going through the physical aspects we don't carry the baby ourselves um how do you feel your experience was different from your wife's well it was it was significantly different i mean we, we of course shared um, a lot of the same experiences, but like you mentioned, um, you know, a, a father and a, or a spouse and whatnot carrying the child, you know, it's, uh, there's not as much of the physical connection, of course. Um, you know, I'd say, you know, in addition to just the physical piece, you know, my wife and I were different, you know, we have different relationships, we have different relationships with family, with friends, we um, engage differently in relationships we have a different style when it comes to you know like how we like to um, communicate how we like to interact with friends and family so um, you know as far as you know the experience of the pregnancy you know we had a a normal pregnancy a healthy pregnancy and you know after Kainoa passed away I think you know some of the differences in our lives started to shine through where you know, I'd say I have a, probably a smaller group of, of um, close friends and family, whereas Crystal has a larger one. And as, as we all know, that support structure is really important um, after loss and through grief. And so in addition to, you know, just getting through the, the first few days and weeks, you know, it was interesting to see how um, our support networks came through differently as, as a, you know, for a father and for a mother and you know, even thinking about supporting our living son and how um, our approach to parenting and how our um, extended family members and close family members reached out to support us. I mean, there are certainly quite a few differences. You know, certainly, um, you know, social social media is part of that. And I'd, I'd say kind of admittedly, I'm not um, I'm not on social media as much as, as others. And certainly 
Uh, my wife's more connected, and, and that's been a great platform for her to kind of share more about what, what she's gone through and going through and has have been able to connect with with you know other lost parents and folks who have lost uh, children to stillbirth and I've, I've done some of that on my own as well but um, you know I think that's where uh, you know there's differences between just between us and how we process because of who we are but there's certainly the kind of the, the kind of male and female aspects that have come through as well when you think about Father's Day do, do you look forward to it do you dread it? Are you emotionally neutral about it? How are you feeling about this holiday? Yeah, no, no, great question. I'd say the first Father's Day, it was really kind of a more dread, right? I mean, it's, it's it's something I wanted to celebrate because I, you know, I am a father. Uh, I was when our first was born in 2014, and since then, I am a father to Kainoa. So that's kind of a novel concept for a lot of folks that. Maybe haven't experienced the loss of a child. They, uh, we still parent kind of in a lot of ways, and that's an important way of, um, you know, that's a per- important part, important part of our path forward as a family. But that first year was really tough, and we made an effort to like get away. A change of scenery was important. Um, gave an excuse, gave us an excuse not to attend kind of the family traditions and family events and celebrations around Father's Day. And so that first year, I'd say, was pretty tough. Um, last year, this year, not not as much dread. I think you know more celebration, more more uh, f- more focus on the love that I have for both of my sons as a father and uh, the way that I parent each of them. So it's it's gotten easier over time, but certainly very tough in the first year. And you and I met. Father's Day of 2019, where we met with a group of five or six other lost dads, all from Minnesota, and we did a we ran a loop around uh, a, a, about a 5k loop around a lake in Minneapolis, pushing empty strollers with signs in the strollers that said "Running in memory of" and then insert your baby's name here. And I'm wondering if you can just kind of describe to the to the audience what that was like for you I know what that was like for me it was really uncomfortable at first but then I felt really good after it was over because there's we were on a lake that's well populated with walkers and and people going past us and I'm wondering if you can take us back about what your state of mind was that day yeah I think it was I was filled with a mix of emotions I think it was um, like you said kind of a little bit nerve-wracking in the beginning not knowing really what to expect Um, certainly our culture and society doesn't do great with death and hard conversations and so to put it right out there and put it in front of people's faces with empty strollers was um, something that I wasn't sure uh, I wasn't sure what would happen Um, I I remember that when we were convening just before we got started uh, there's been comments made to a number of the dads kind of jokingly, hey, you, for, you you lost your baby or you missed your baby um, for folks that just had no idea what we were doing and um, just reinforced the point that, yes, we, we need people to be more aware that that infant loss, pregnancy loss is a real thing and a real thing that both the mother and the father struggle with. And, and so, you know, before we even got started, there was uh, – you know, just uh, confirmation that it was the right thing to do. And then I think as we ran around the lake and passed by folks, I think initially they 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 kind of smile. Oh, there's there's five or six six dads pushing strollers, and then they would see that they weren't 
that they were empty. And then they would look at the little placards, uh, you know, in memory signs. And I, and I don't, I don't know really what a lot of them thought. It was kind of it was probably a little bit of shock, uh, surprise. Um, and I think it, it's exactly what we set out to do to try and raise awareness, to try and shed some light on loss and, and stillbirth specifically. And, um, you know, fellowship with other fathers that have, have gone through trauma and loss and grief. And, um, you know, I remember at the end of the, at the end of the run, just feeling like feeling in a much better place before than when we, when we started, you know, I had made some additional connections to fathers, other dads. Um, we talked about doing it again. And like we, like we discussed this year in the external environment with COVID makes that probably a little bit more challenging, but, um, it's, it's an important, component of of driving awareness and specifically on father's day because um, i think like we many of us have experienced there's a different kind of expectation for for maybe the quote-unquote secondary parent or spouse or father in the relationship and and maybe how they should be managing through grief for the situation or parenting so um yeah it was a it was a great uh experience a great event and hopefully we'll have the chance to do it again in the future. And that's a great segue to my next question because that day we we made people uncomfortable and that's we right. kind of flipped the script on the societal norms of pregnancy. And I know a lot of dads often talk about societal pressures, stigmas and expectations that surround pregnancy and infant loss. Some are directly said but but others are implied. Did you feel any of these external pressures? And if so, how did you handle them? Yeah, no, I definitely did. And I think, you know, societal, cultural pressures, you know, being male and being, you know, a supportive partner, I think a lot of the uh, expectation was that, you know, I'd be the strong rock and that, you know, I would quickly get over it or find ways to kind of maintain but suppress a lot of my feelings and emotions so that I could be there for my family and not only for my spouse but for our, our living son as well and, and and that's tough because that manifested itself in ways where you know people would hear about Kaino and our loss and they they wouldn't ask about me they would ask about Crystal and you know in a lot of ways that it felt isolating it felt like there wasn't an acknowledgement of my loss and the loss of our whole family and so um you know that coupled with you know after some time went by just this kind of under uh, understanding from those around or our understanding from the, the from interp- interpreting questions or comments from those around us that there is this belief that we were like we need to like move on and get past it and it's it, you know that thing happened to you well no it's it's something that's that ha- that is happening to us for the rest of our lives this, this grief and this child um we carry until the day that we die and so just i think that's what's been tough is this belief that it's something in the past it's um that we can kind of move on you know that that concept of moving on and you know, try to really avoid saying that because that's not what it is about at all it's about kind of pressing through you know moving forward because we'll carry Kainoa and you know the life that we had planned for and hoped for for the rest of our lives I want to talk about work for a little bit 
um, because going back to work after a loss is a significant milestone for many parents. A lot of people have vivid memories of what it was like going back to work and trying to find importance in the things that you used to find important but just don't seem that important anymore. Um, what was your return to work like? Yeah, it was it was tough, uh, it, to put it bluntly. I mean, I think, so one, I, I took two weeks off and, and feel very fortunate that I was able to do so. I, I know others who have experienced loss, you know, don't have as much flexibility with their employer work environment. And so I was able to spend some time kind of hunkered down with, with, with my immediate family some, and, you know, figuring out how to take advantage of the support that was offered um, to get us through that really, really tough time in the beginning. Going back to work, uh, you know, I think the, the the thing that I would say is I felt like a completely different person going back to work, but yet the people at work didn't see a different person. They, they I went to the same meetings. I went to the same desk. I, you know, I went to the same lunchroom, cafeteria. I work at a large Fortune 500 company, so there's lots of people that I interact with. I've been there for almost 14 years, so there's lots of relationships that I've built over time, and it felt like those folks didn't really know me anymore. There's something so significantly significant that impacted my life, but didn't impact my work life. Um, it didn't show. I didn't show up physically as a different person, but inside I was very much a changed um, father and spouse, and you know, friend and employee in a lot of ways. And so that's where. I realized pretty pretty early on that I would need to kind of openly share and be vulnerable and kind of lead conversation courageously to find ways to incorporate Kainoa and talk about our grief journey, talk about our son, talk about um, things that we are experiencing kind of live. And this was a conscious decision we made as a family because we knew that the alternate alternative would be really isolating if, if people don't really know where we're at how we're evolving and changing they're not really going to know how to best support us or to kind of understand who we are and and um you know continue relationship with us so one of the things that i did that i think was really helpful was i wrote an email and sent it out to all my colleagues at work and just told them about um kainoa shared what happened and invited them to more or less like join me in the journey ahead. And I, I remember sharing that I, I, I really would appreciate that colleagues ask questions, ask about what happened, ask about how I'm doing, ask about Kainoa because it, it, it shows that they, you know, care for us and love our family and love both of our sons. And some, you know, took us, took me up on that invitation and, you know, really surprising individuals, some that I didn't expect that just, you know, saw it as an opportunity for some real connection and, and to support, uh, you know, a grieving person and family. And, you know, those, those relationships have, have changed as a result, but it started with the conscious decision to insert some, something that's uncomfortable, but something that's, that gives folks a window into, to see who we are and how we're changing and how 
I know as life is, is, is given us a new sense of purpose as a family. So being really open and sharing about our family and um, talking about Kainoa regularly at work, um, you know, and sometimes I don't do it as often, but other times I do. It, it's an important part of, uh, you know, the, the work environment that I've created now. And, you know, it's probably not for everyone. I understand that we're all, we all process differently and, you know, some maybe aren't as comfortable being as open, but that's been a, a key part of, you know, my close, close working relationships with my, you know, team and, you know, people that I work on projects with that I share who I am, you know, my family and what it's meant to us and how it's, how it's changed our perspective and outlook on things. I love that you were proactive in sharing with your very many colleagues how, how they can be a part of your journey and, and giving them permission to ask you questions um, as opposed to just sitting back and, and doing nothing about it. Because um, your life before September of 2017 was much different uh, after <clears throat> September of 2017, and, and you acknowledged that. I'm wondering, um, in reaching out to your coworkers, and did you also mention that you presented to your coworkers as well? Yeah, so the, the, the first kind of, um, I'd say, real uh, leap into vulnerability was that email. And I remember the feeling after I had sent it off. It's just, uh, just like I, nothing I've ever experienced before because I think I sent it to almost 200 people. And some, you know, were close colleagues, but some were just folks that I knew I would see and I knew that I wanted them to know. Um, I remember that feeling just, oh, you know, like I just shared something so personal and I shared it with a bunch of people. Right. So in, initially I, I kind of had second thoughts, but I'm, I'm so thankful I did it now. And then what you're referencing is, is something that I did uh, actually just this past uh, October and during Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month, you know, I had the opportunity to share with a, with a group at General Mills at a leadership conference, a breakthrough story. And part of my breakthrough story was about, you know, how I approach my, my professional work and approach it in a very vulnerable way where I just, you know, if I work with somebody, I tell them, I tell them what they should know about me versus them trying to interpret who I am. But the, the personal piece of that story was sharing Kainoa and how he's and, and, and how, how the experience and grief and love that we have for him has um, you know changed who we are and the, all the beautiful things that have come from you know um, experiencing stillbirth and, and infertility and secondary loss, which you know is a whole other topic, but you know loss after, you know, Kainoa passed away. And so I had the opportunity to do that in front of a large group to, to, to share very, very vulnerably, like what it's meant. And, um, as, as a breakthrough really, isn't that this, this, this gift really of perspective on life is something that I wanted people to know, um, and hear from me and how it's, how it's shaped our lives. But part of that was to also say, Hey, this is a, this is a group of leaders that I maybe didn't all have, on the email thread and communication from you know a couple of years prior, I want them to see me. And because in a lot of ways, without people understanding my family and our sons, it 
it feels a little bit like you're wearing a mask around, like people don't get to see the real you. And um, without that invitation and without that kind of vulnerability, it, we, we miss out on opportunities for a really meaningful connection and relationship. And so that's really what I strive for now is to, to give myself as many opportunities for real connection and relationship. And it requires courage in a lot of ways um, because it was tough to do. Um, but what what I've seen is that it's it's really it's it's really been an invitation for others to share, which has been really beautiful, right? I mean, when I first shared the the email, um, you know, maybe a week after we lost Kainoa, I had a couple other I had a couple responses back that of folks that shared some sort of pregnancy and infant loss story of their own, whether it be their own journey, whether it be um, a sibling of theirs that their parents really never spoke about that was a stillbirth or, um, you know, a number of miscarriages. And so it again was this opportunity to connect. And from that, there's been something to build upon that I never would have known uh, in these relationships if, if there wasn't this desire to kind of lead in that way and share and it's not easy and again it's, it's probably not right for everyone but um i think it's been really beautiful in a lot of ways too whenever people make a, a courageous and vulnerable outreach such as what you did with your coworkers, you kind of learn a lot about people and in, in how they respond to it and i'm just curious if you have any regret, regrets about doing what you did at work mm, well i'll tell you one of the <laughs> One of the regrets is just maybe more of a tactical decision that I made. So I, I shared the story, and then there was a there was a um, kind of a happy hour later on, and I had volunteered to serve food at the happy hour. So right after I had laid it all out there, I saw every single one of these people in line because I was serving food, and you can imagine what their you know what they said when they came up to me. Oh my gosh, thanks so much for sharing your story, and like oh how powerful. And, I'm, you know, I'm sorry, or, you know, you have beautiful boys. And that was great to hear. And there were a lot of nice comments, but it was like 200 people. And I just didn't have the emotional mm. bank account left really to, to, to get, to, I got through it, but it was really, really difficult. So I, I regretted, um, you know, putting myself in that situation after um, exposing myself, you know, for lack of better words, um, and, and, and I think the, the message from that is, you know, we have to be careful and safe with ourselves to know like what we can handle and what's maybe a little bit too much. And that was, you know, a, a little bit of a mis, mis and judgment and, and understanding like what I'd be capable of that day. Cause it was already a, a pretty, a pretty big moment and pretty big drain on my um, energy and emotional bank account with just the sharing during the, the conference what to have that after but i'd say beyond that you know that it's been mostly good you know I, I walk around and if i see these people and they've never they've never mentioned anything about it i just know that they see me now they see who i am they know who i am they know that i i care I, that i've grieved deeply it's because and it's because i love deeply my my family including our son that's passed away and so i just feel so much so much more content knowing that more people in the building that I see um, really see who I am and know more about um, our journey. 
you and I are two and a half years and four and a half years respectively out from our losses, which unfortunately makes us grizzled veterans uh, <laughs> of this terrible, terrible yeah. world that we live in. And I'm curious, and I, this is fresh topic for me because last night I was at my former coworker's house. Um, he and his wife lost their baby, uh, who was stillborn just last week, eight days ago. And wow. I sat with them until almost midnight last night, and I, I almost forgot. I saw the look in their eyes, the shock, the sadness, the I cannot believe this happened to us, the anger, the, the sadness, everything mixed in, and I just saw that exhausted, shocked, sad cocktail look in their eyes that I forgot that I had that in my eyes for a couple of months. Um, so that's all fresh in my mind, but I'm wondering if there's any dads listening to this podcast episode who are early in their grief journey, earlier than you and I are, what suggestions, what advice do you have for those fathers? Yeah, I mean, it, it's come through earlier in this conversation, but it, to the extent you're you're willing to have the energy to do so i think the the main suggestion i would share is just to be open and honest and and you don't have to lay it all out and and you know be completely vulnerable and and you know share everything that's happening with everybody but to be selective and and for the for the relationships that that really matter or you believe will really matter to be really honest with those folks so that they can understand where you are. Um, I think that's that's one thing that I think I probably would have done a little bit differently, especially with close family and friends. Um, I did it with some, but not everyone, just to keep them really up to speed and where I was at emotionally, um, you know, what I was struggling with. And, and, I, and I say I regret it a bit because putting myself in their shoes, how can they support me if they don't know what I what I need or how can they support me if they don't know where I am um, or, or how I'm changing, how, you know, how, how I'm struggling with going back to work, you know, where I, where I was able to share more, I'd say, and not in all situations, but in many of them, you know, I, I got better support because it wasn't, you know, this, this giant unknown of like, well, how do I support Jay? I, I want to help him, but I don't know how. And, you know, so, you know, demystifying it a bit is, it was the, and the process for that was just helping people to understand what was going on. Then I think they, they picked up on opportunities to, you know, deliver a meal or to, or to, um, send us a gift card or to just, uh, let us vent on the phone. Um, you know, but without having opportunities to connect regularly with us and without us sharing the, you know, the, the foundation that we built in these relationships was, you know, didn't really serve them well. Um, the folks that, you know, I didn't really invest the time in to share with. So, that, that'd be one thing I'd say is, you know, to the extent you can, and it's really tough at times because um, it requires, again, that the, 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 the folks who are grieving that we take time to invest in others. But, you know, being open and honest and just um, sharing, 
I think is again a, uh, gives folks a, a window into seeing you know what they can do to help because I think we can all agree that those who have experienced the loss of a child really need a strong support network. And so um, I'd say sharing and then also just like being very unapologetic about telling somebody that something wasn't helpful. Um, you know, hey, you know, you said this, I didn't appreciate it. And here's why. Or, hey, you know, I really, I, I really appreciate that you just sent a card or you sent a card three weeks later when the other cards were done coming right to help to give people feedback really is i guess what i'm getting after like without that feedback loop um it's it's tough to put expectations on those those close friends and family members um for the type of support that we need and so that'd be maybe one suggestion great suggestion that reminds me the woman uh that i spoke with last night she and her husband who experienced the loss uh, she talked to her best friend on the phone for the first time since her loss just last night, and she kicked off the phone call by saying, I'm sorry, but I don't care about your life right now. There's no, I, can't listen to, I can't listen to your life and your problems and your challenges. Right. And her, her friend handled it beautifully. She said, we're here to talk about you tonight. And, and they talked for like an hour, and it was really good. But I love how she took responsibility. She set the tone. She told her, what her emotional capacity was, which was mm -hmm. nothing, um, yeah. to hear about other stuff. And that is so important. So, it, And that's right in line with what you were suggesting. So thanks for that. Yeah, and I think to, to just kind of pulling on that thread a little bit more, finding those friends, finding those people, because it, it may not be the people that you have now. It may be others, or it may be a subset of the support network you have that's really capable of doing that. I think what we've seen is that there are some folks that are just not really well equipped to support families going through grief. Some are, um, right? And, and, and some are maybe, unfortunately, because they've had practice, right? So to find who those people are and, and you know, a great example of just kind of laying, you know, saying, I can't talk about your life. We, you know, we can't go there right now to, to find the folks that um, can just sit with you. I mean, you shared how, you know, you, you're just, you're just sitting with somebody and that's that's really what I think we have appreciated as a family the folks the friends the family who are just there to listen who aren't there to fix who aren't there to suggest that just can like come down and, and we talk about it as like coming climbing down the ladder to sit with us in our hole um, they're not trying to pull us out right they're not trying to um get us to see that there's really not a hole that it's just us right they're, they're just there and um and and that's all i think we needed at some at a lot of times it was just someone to sit with and um, i remember bringing it up on the father's day run to a, a new father that i had, had met and it's a really great book called the rabbit listened and it just it, it has examples of these these different um you know, approaches to supporting somebody that's gone through loss and, and some effective and not so effective. And it just, I think it does a really job, good job encapsulating how, how impactful and meaningful it can be to just be next to someone so that they know you're there, but you're not the problem solver. You're not the suggester. You're not the, the one trying to accelerate um, the grief journey. You're just there to be there and to support this person and um, 
to, like I said earlier, to like learn and understand and listen so that when there does become a point where um, there's comfort in the relationship where the folk or that support person can support in a different way other than just being that they know how to do it, how to support that person. It's, you know, I'm, I'm going to send you, uh, you know, because you've shared that, you know, talking about Kainoa is a good thing that we want you to do that. And it makes us happy. Just like when you talk about our living son, it it makes us happy when you talk about our son who passed away. You know, some of those folks have gone on just, they just send us text messages or on Kainoa's birthday every year, they send us a card, like without having the opportunity to learn more about what works and doesn't work for us. I don't think we'd have that support because they'd just be flying blind again. So finding who those people are. And I think, what I've what I've experienced is that it's not necessarily the people that you might expect. Well, Jay, both of your children, Kainoa included, are lucky to have you as their dad. Happy Father's oh, Day to you, you, and thank you for being Same my guest you. on the podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for the opportunity. That's all for this episode of the Stillbirth Matters podcast presented by the Star Legacy Foundation. I'm Chris Duffy. Thanks for listening.